So Sarah, it's been a little bit of a wild week. What do you say? Uh, yeah, lots of ups and downs. I mean, I don't even know where to start, but what I really wanted to do actually is introduce our next guest. He's been really active on social media, the news. You've probably seen or heard of him. His name is uh, Dr. Nahid Dasani. He is a palliative care physician and health justice activist. Dr. Dasani is dedicated to advancing equitable access to health care for people experiencing homelessness and marginalization. These efforts include founding Palliative Education and Care for the Homeless, and serving as Medical Director for the Region of Peel COVID-19 Isolation Housing Program. Dr. Dasani shares his passion for health equity through education and advocacy efforts that include media, public speaking, social media, and faculty appointments at the University of Toronto and McMaster University. Nahid, we are so glad to have you here on the podcast today. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. I'm like really excited to be on the Grady Nurse podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> awesome. We are equally excited to have you. So I thought we could just take a dive into um, you telling us a little bit about your journey into health equity and activism, because I feel like this is kind of unique. I don't see a lot of physicians doing what you're doing. So can you share with us um, kind of how you got here? Yeah, you know, uh, just in a nutshell, I was born and raised in Scarborough, Ontario. Um, I was the child of two parents who came to Canada in the 1970s as refugees from Uganda. They were fleeing uh, persecution and war. And uh, so, you know, growing up in a house like that, there was a lot of, you know, lessons early on about the social determinants of health, community well-being, those kind of like really important lessons growing up. And so I always knew I wanted to work in a field that was uh, focused on social change. And it was like, first, it was like, um, journalism, then it kind of switched to like maybe engineering, wasn't so good at like physics and math. So <laughs> ended up like looking at health and, um, you know, really got interested in in social justice and particularly health justice. And as a first year resident doctor at the University of Toronto in my residency training, I met Terry, a young man in his early 30s who I provided healthcare for while working at a homeless shelter. Um, and he presented in pain crisis due to a widespread head and neck cancer. And he had been, you know, gone through so much um, in his life. He had, you know, mental health issues, a substance use disorder. And when he had this cancer, he was denied access to pain medicines that would improve his quality of life by healthcare, you know, uh, probably because of stigma around his homelessness. I built a connection with him and he promised me he would start some pain medicines and he ended up actually dying the next day due to an overdose um, from a combination of alcohol and street drugs. It was wow. a very traumatic event that basically changed my life forever. Um, took some time off, started to realize that we needed to do better for people experiencing homelessness, pursued a palliative care residency um, just for the purpose of really deriving health equity in palliative care for people experiencing poverty, experiencing homelessness, racialized communities, um, and then started the PEACH program, Palliative Education and Care for the Homeless, um, a mobile street and shelter-based palliative care program. Yeah, Nahid, that is really interesting. I feel like this is a really great aha moment story that you had where you re you met a patient that really changed your life and really changed the trajectory of your career. So I think it really takes a special person to work with the homeless. And you may know um, Kathy Crow. She's a fellow nurse activist. <laughs> yeah, we're actually really good friends. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a small world. Um, yeah, I think that's really great that you were able to kind of channel this uh, difficult situation you had and really turn it into something that's your passion. 
You know, it's it's interesting. I often reflect and talk to other people who work in health and healthcare about like, you know, what inspires them. And for some people, it's like one event, like, you know, me meeting Terry and that really bad outcome and how it, it really like, you know, took me in that direction. But for other people, it's like a series of stories and events uh, or a series of experiences. Um, so I don't want to make it sound like it always has to be one event that, you know, can can like, you know, you know, change your life. Like it sound, it's really great for a story, but sometimes it can be multiple events too Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I mean if I could just jump in there too like I think that and I I agree with what you you, you're saying because like there can be a whole bunch of different sentinel events that occur to really make you want to do this act like activism type of work same with myself and Sarah like we had one pivotal moment but I think even through our throughout our entire journey as health podcasters we've kind of seen various events that said, Hey, we, we have to talk and we have to talk about poverty and healthcare and all these various different effects that we're seeing. And I think, you know, it never really translated in nursing school as much as it does now. Like I think, I think the education system when it comes to healthcare um, in nursing in medicine, you know, you're taught about the, the theory you're taught about, you know, how these might affect a person's care but I think you really have to see like you have to translate that into practice and it's good that you know you can share those experiences with ourselves and other people that are listening and I mean I think this is where again we can turn a page in terms of to speaking up when we see things so for example you know we have billionaires going to space when we still have poverty and a huge crisis uh, in terms of what's happening here and just around the world. There are still many people that don't have access to, to vaccines. And then just, you know, recently in Trinity Bellwood, where they're, you know, mass, like I couldn't believe it. It was like massive police force and police presence to take down these tents where people are living. And I, and I was kind of like, well, what are the solutions that they're providing? And it's just, to me, it seemed like this war on poverty. So, you know, you do post a lot about health equity and poverty as it relates to COVID and various other, other situations. What are, what is your, what is your quick take on what are some of the things that we could do in terms of raising our voice? Yeah, you bring up some really good points. And I have to say, you know, COVID-19 has certainly brought, you know, the social and structural determinants to the forefront. It's put health equity issues on in the spotlight, right? Because our health is all interconnected. And if you don't, if we didn't support hardest hit communities that were hardest hit by COVID-19, we wouldn't have gotten through it. My fear is that's the only reason we did it is because yeah. our health was in- mm-hmm. interconnected, right? In unique ways. And so now as the pandemic, I'm not saying it's over, but as we start to move on to these later stages, you start to notice that that equity discussion is not at the forefront anymore. And that mm-hmm. that worries me, right? So m- more and more, this question is important. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, we are noticing Beyond the billionaires um, rushing to space. By the way, I saw this tweet. It was so funny. Um, uh, it said, "What if the UFOs we see in the sky are just billionaires from other planets?" <laughs> Seriously, right? Oh my gosh! I know. I know. I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, you know, it's, you start to wonder about what's happening. So let's talk about encampment clearings and what's happening in Toronto. So what, what we're seeing is essentially a growing trend in, in cities like Toronto, but jurisdictions across Canada, the United States, Europe, and around the world, where we're seeing the criminalization of poverty. Poverty yeah. and homelessness is due to a, a series of unfortunate um, circumstances that people fall into due to we a weakening social safety net around healthcare, housing, social assistance. It's very, you know, complex. And so society fails people who experience homelessness and then we ticket them and then we arrest them and then we, we yeah. don't create housing for them and then we, we penalize them for living in those spaces. So the answer to this is high quality, affordable housing. And Canada actually stands as a leader in, in showing the promise and uh, of how, how um, you know, housing can really work. Housing first is a principle where we don't ask people to jump through hoops to get a home. We just give them a home first. Mm -hmm. And Canada, you know, ran a huge study. Um, um, it was called the At Home Chez Soi Demonstration Project. It ran um, in between 20, um, I believe 2012 and 2014, Mental Health Commission of Canada, Google it. It basically shows that housing first works and it's cheaper. It's much cheaper as well. Um, it has not been adopted Canada wide, but we've seen jurisdictions like Medicine Hat has ended chronic homelessness just through housing first. So that's like a very, you know, tangible solution, you know, that we need to think about. Another one is harm reduction, talking about people who use drugs. And, you know, you guys work in healthcare. As much as we know harm reduction works for people who use drugs, how, how much has it been adopted in the places that you work and you know about in hospitals in clinics in our community care? So we need to, you know, really think beyond the box if we're going to, you know, really meet people where they're at. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I think there, I think there has to be so much education and, and I hate actually using this term where we talk about education because it's really actually like the lowest form in terms of how people understand and actually, you know, work, work these flows into their life. But I mean, I can even think about maybe myself like 10 years ago thinking about, you know, the war on drugs when that came out in the States and kind of, you know, this whole perception of, you know, you need to just pick yourself up and, and do better and these types of ideas. And I remember thinking to myself, like, Hmm, you know, yeah, maybe these people are right. And then I really did a deep dive into the history. I looked at what was happening in South Central LA with Skid Row and various different places like that. And I'm like, oh my God, we are intentionally doing this to people. Mm -hmm. like, and I think like, as a society, and I think especially in healthcare, we're so quick to judge people for being homeless, for being on drugs, mm -hmm. instead of really just providing them with the support they need from the get-go. And I think a lot of that comes around the fact that the general public thinks that, oh, if we give people housing, they're going to take advantage of it. They're going to take advantage of all these things we're giving them. Why can't they work to earn it? But again, you're not looking at it from um, a health equity lens. Like, it, there's so there's so many things involved. I mean, I just read the book by Jesse Thistle. I don't know if you've read mm -hmm. it, um, Into the Ashes yeah. or From the Ashes. It's, it's an incredible read. It's incredible. And he just talks about how he struggled to get out of poverty and how I actually attended a talk that he gave recently where he said, you know, in all honesty, I should be dead or in jail. And I've been able to transcend and overcome these boundaries to be where I am today. And I mean, I'm just getting chills even thinking about it. But 
he's just really incredible. And I think that he really gives a voice to those that have experienced poverty and homelessness. And um, even through the lens of Indigenous peoples, how difficult it can be to get out of that cycle. So I think we've gone a little bit off topic here. But I just I really feel like people need to understand where it's coming from and not and not be so easy to blame or judge. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what we um, what we need to do is put the care back in healthcare. And one of the ways that we can do that is by talking more about trauma informed care. Um, and you know, it's definitely a buzzword. And I, I know that a lot of the trainees that I that I teach have heard of this, but they don't know how to do it. Right? It's everything from learning how to how to pronounce someone's name to learning someone's preferred pronoun to you know re- you know sitting at eye level with them if they're you know you're seeing someone and they're seated on the ground, for example, in a, in a rooming house or a shelter. For for example, it's like it's all those little things, but it's also at a macro level thinking about policies like housing first, like harm reduction, safe supply, you know, um, taking our health care on an outreach basis, sort of like what the Peach program does. So, you know, it's just it's just really, you know, recognizing the trauma that people have experienced in society, but also at the hands of healthcare. So we don't re-traumatize people again when they access healthcare. I just kind of wanted to go in a little bit of a different direction and ask you, um, I actually didn't read your whole bio because it is quite long, but but very impressive. Um, what are some of your success stories or what are some of your proudest accomplishments that you've, that you can think of, you know, just as being a physician or even a person in the world? What, what would you like to share? You know, I think um, one of the things I'll start out by saying is I don't think any of like my accomplishments are me. Like, you know, as you know, in healthcare, um, there's there's no success if, if you're not working in a team. So I got to give a shout out and mad love to the team that I work with um, at the PEACH program, Palliative Education and Care for the Homeless um, at the Inner City Health Associates in downtown Toronto. We're a team of healthcare professionals who drive around in our cars and go to, you know, rooming houses, drop-ins, shelters, respites to see people who with um who are, who are dying basically and dealing with their life limiting illness journeys to manage their pain and symptoms, you know, hold their hands, support them emotionally, connect with them. We started this program in 2014. It started out with like myself and a, and a, and a street nurse named Namrud Ahmed driving around in, in my Honda Civic like one day a week. <laughs> and now it's actually like a 24 seven program that cares for between 120, 130 clients on caseload at any given time. Five palliative care physicians, psychiatrists, social worker, nursing coordinator, a home care system. And the program has actually been developed, has been replicated in jurisdictions across Canada, including Victoria, Edmonton, Calgary, but also around the world, um, Seattle, Brisbane, Australia, um, and the United Kingdom. And so what we're, what we, what started as this like little intervention in our corner of the world has become this, you know, global health model that's actually been, you know, review, you know, reviewed many times. There's been a lot of research on it and we found, we found that it works, you know, 64% of the time people never go to the hospital or ER, 80% of the time they die where they want to 83% of the time people are reconnected to family and friends. So that's been a real, a real journey. And it's been, you know, a huge part of, um, you know, uh, the work and, and, and it's, um, it's allowed us to really, you know, drive that, that mix between health innovation. So developing health, healthcare in an innovative way, but doing it through a compassionate and trauma informed lens at the same time. That's that's really amazing. And, you know, I didn't even I didn't realize that the program was going on for that long. So that that's that's actually really, really great. So, of course, you know, with the fact that there are positive and really good things that are happening through that that program, I'm sure there are some challenges as well. So what are some of the things that, you know, 
based on our healthcare system or even some of the challenges you have presented on, you know, maybe on your daily run when you're doing some of the care or providing some of the care that you, you do, what are some of the things that you see that could work better? Or what are some of the, the things that, you know, our healthcare system can improve with in terms of some of the work that you do? Yeah, that's a really great question. I know both of you have experiences in, in home and community care, but, you know, just really, you know, starting at the outset, we make a lot of su- assumptions in healthcare, in community care, and then further in palliative care, that people have a roof over their head, they have a phone, they have money in their bank account, they have caregivers to support them when the public healthcare system is not able to support them. The raw reality is the vast majority of people who don't have homes get do not get access to home care. I know that's so obvious when you say it out loud, but think about it. We designed a healthcare system and call it home care. It literally excludes people who don't have homes. Right, right. right. <laughs> I know that's like so obvious, and it's so it obvious, is. but that's actually the major, major problem. Like, I don't think that Peach Program is like rocket science. It's literally just trying to provide home care for people who don't have homes. So that's actually a big piece. Um, but then, you know, just beyond that, I think... We also fail to recognize in our society that if that as people are approaching end of life and as they're dying, inequities actually really exponentially grow and worsen. So if you lived poor, sadly, in, in a country like Canada, you'll probably die poorer. If you lived alone, you'll probably die more alone. If you lived homeless, you'll die more homeless. And so death is most certainly a social justice issue. And yet our approach to supporting people with serious illnesses as they approach end of life is this prognosis system where people get the same amounts of support. No, no matter if you're a CEO living in Forest Hill, and you have eight children, you live in a mansion, got tons of supports, or you live you know, downtown on a street corner, you're going to get the same support technically and so that's a problem because what we need is not equality giving people the same things to be happy and healthy which our system does pretty well we need equity giving people what they need to be happy and healthy and some people need more than others right and that's a big that's a big Mm -hmm. kind of problem and then finally i think um too often you know we project our feelings of what a good death is on people as a system many people you know i talk to would be like well i would never want to die in a shelter or a rooming house and and i and i would say you know i get that you wouldn't but many of our clients do many of the people we care for want to die in a shelter they want to be in a rooming house because that's home for them they right. want to be in their home communities and so we don't support or resource home and community care particularly around palliative care for people who have social deficiencies like poverty and homelessness to make that possible. I'd say those are, you know, three complex issues that still to this day, we we have to think about. And it's probably a huge reason the PEACH program is so busy because those are three intersections of, of area of problems and issues that we spend a lot of time working in. Yeah, you know, like, this just makes me think, right? Like in terms of of, you know, you have this program, but we have a whole healthcare system that really should be doing a huge part of this work. And again, it always, for me, kind of goes back to policy and how are we informing and changing policy to make it more equitable? Are there any thoughts that you have in terms of how do we make policy at that those levels where you know we're saying oh yeah everyone we think that we're leveling the playing field but we're not right like you said we need to meet people where there are looking at really what does equity mean and that there are some people who might require more resources or different aspects to make sure that they're they're on that so to speak level playing field but i really believe policy does inform 
a lot of those decision makings. And this is where, you know, I can actually say that there are a lot of a lot of racist policies, a lot of racist or sorry, a lot of um, policies that are, you know, more poverty driven that causes people to, you know, be living in a, in this type of uh, crisis situation. So where are your thoughts in terms of how we can more inform policy change? This is such a brilliant question because I think sometimes, you know, we think about, you know, we often talk in our in our team and we and we say like, we know we're doing important work. Like we, we feel that, like we feel it in the community, people we serve and care for say, thank you, this is so important. You know, this is empowering people's, you know, serious illness journeys and end of life journeys. But, you know, we sometimes question are we letting the system off the hook because we do this work? Because we're picking up, right? Mm-hmm. We're picking yeah. up the slack, yeah. right? Filling a gap that should never have existed to begin with. It's mm-hmm. a sad state of affairs that we need to create a separate palliative care program for people experiencing homelessness in our quote unquote universal healthcare system, right? Right. And mm-hmm. so how do we battle that? Like, how do we address that? Like, we're not going to stop doing the clinical work because it's so needed. And if we stop, it's not going to get done. But what we do is we, we provide education and we advocate. So it's no um, coincidence that we're out here on Twitter, on, on Instagram, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're writing op-eds, we're going to protests, we're, you know, writing letters around, you know, ending homelessness, around, you know, basic income strategies, around safe supply, around harm reduction at every juncture, you know, during COVID, but before too, you know what I mean? Um, and really raising the bar to educate the mass public around health equity. But I think providing a compassionate, narrative, like really painting the picture of what it's like to experience homelessness and then have a serious illness on top of that. It's hard enough, you know, living on the streets. It's harder to like live and die on the streets. And we tell stories, we work with media, we um, build that narrative so people can feel a connection, an emotional connection to this issue. And then they stop blaming people for being homeless. They stop Mm -hmm. stigmatizing people because they're in poverty. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Like, I think for a lot of our listeners, especially those that aren't in healthcare, they're probably thinking like, how can I help or what can I do? So I think we've talked a bit about higher level changes, but in terms of just small steps, like what do you think are some small steps that the average person can take in terms of making health more equitable or talking more about homelessness and what it's really about? Yeah, you know what? Like, I think um, there's often a tendency to want to jump in for action and kudos to anybody who's feeling that right now, but don't feel bad about taking time to learn and listen first. I'd say that needs to be like step one, listen and learn um, uh, from people like yourselves, like this podcast, but uh, you know, also like community activists who are out there living it and breathing it, you know, learning about, you know, issues related to homelessness, check out homelesshub.ca, check out the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness, Health Providers Against Poverty, Kathy Crow. Like there's so many people doing incredible work across this country. Learn about that. Then the second thing is to really connect with your local community, because I know your listeners live in different places. So whatever your local community is, learn about those people and organizations who are doing good work. The action that you think is needed to help make a difference may not be what's actually needed in your local community, right? Um, right. And so, yeah, like, for example, um, you know, and a lot of people want to donate things and, or, you know, and, and during COVID, a lot of the shelters were just like, listen, and the housing agencies were like, listen, we just need money. 
Like we need cash donations. Like that would help right now. In mm-hmm. other circumstances, it's been like, we need you to come down and, you know, um, serve food and, and serve water. Cause that's been going down, you know, a lot during COVID as well, especially downtown Toronto. You never know what the needs are going to be. And the, the final step is to get political inherently. The, the key to addressing homelessness and health equity in this country is 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 to get political and improve outcomes. So, you know, learn about and, and homelessness is an issue that affects every political like level. Right. So city, yeah. province, federal. So know your local politicians, what they're saying, what they're not saying. Check out the report cards put out by the Canadian Alliance and homelessness around like who's saying what or what they're not saying and advocate, write letters, email your MP, MPP, um, you know, uh, contact your city councillor and get politically active. I think those would be three reasonable steps. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, we watch you and follow you very close on Twitter. And, you know, it's, I think it's really important to, to have that visible voice and that visible presence in the media. Um, but let me ask you a little bit of a personal question, not too personal, but what has it been like for you being so visible and, you know, out there outspoken about some of these issues? Cause I could tell you, like for us, it's quite challenging. Like as I've been posting, even just today, you know, there's been this one particular anti-vax person in the States. I'm not even going to give light to her name cause I've been thinking about it, but I'm just kind of like, Ugh, I don't even want to do it. But like, you know, we get death threats, we get, you know, trolls. What has it been like for you in terms of your advocacy journey? Yeah, you know, first of all, I, I, I see what you guys are going through. And I just want to say, like, it's so incredible to have your voice out there. Y'all need to keep doing this and keep putting that content out there. It's been cool to cross paths with you and some of the advocacy work. Um, it was cool, Amy, to connect around the around the vaccine roundtable with uh, uh, Justin Trudeau. And then Sarah it was really cool yeah. to, like, do some media with you recently on TV, too. That was pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like we're really commiserating because we're all kind of feeling the same thing but i think just like you guys i think the vast majority of people who are connected to the, the movement and, and what i'm pushing out are supporters right like there's there's a lot of support it's overwhelming it's, i'm really always humbled and, and really grateful for that but yeah in between <laughs> you get some messages you get some- it kind of just sticks there like you don't want to give them the attention but you're like oh that really bothers me and sometimes i know between amy and i because we both manage the same social media accounts um, Amy will get like really into something and I'm like, Amy, you needed to stop 10 tweets ago. And she's like, oh, but I just couldn't. So I, I get it. I get it. No, I, I know the feeling, man. And actually, like I, I actually uh, went on a hiatus for most of the pandemic talking about the stuff I was coming through. Um, you know, I've gotten video videos of people spitting at the camera and sending it to me. I've had people who have like, you know, threatened physical violence to me and my in my family. Um, you know, I've had people who like literally sent anonymous letters to my workplaces and then like uh, like and hand wrote actually like, really? who, who hand <laughs> write letters nowadays. Yeah, with no return sender. Um, and like my employer is kind of like are you okay? Should we be worried about your safety? Like, and I was just like, I, I don't know. I, so recently it was kind of cool because CBC just did a story about what, you know, I was joined three other um, incredible clinicians across Canada and just talking about, you know, all the hate we got. So I just sent it all to this journalist and she was blown away. They picked yeah. a few things to put on the, on the piece. And um, I think, you know, it, it, it's tough at times, 
but it's a constant reminder of why this work is so important. That's why you guys, you guys can't stop because of, you know, one bad tweet that comes around. I know it's more than one, you know, but one in a whatever, right? One out of mm -hmm, every mm -hmm. thousand, you know, it's positive messages you get, right? And and it's just a reason to keep keep going. I think though the pandemic put this on steroids, right? Like like oh, yeah. there were if you stood up for science, evidence-based, and policy, you had a target on your back. Now add that you're a person of color, which we all are, and then yeah. add on top that we're advocating for health justice. These are targets on targets on targets, right? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what's going on. I know you guys feel that way too, right? So just a follow-up question for you, Nahid. Did, did you set out to be on the news and be like active, or did this just kind of happen through the pandemic? Yeah, you know, I, I had a, I was, I was, in media before, particularly around like health equity, housing and homelessness issues. But when COVID happened, um, a few, you know, the whole scene changed, right? So there were a lot more people on social media. Um, there were a lot more people talking about healthcare. It was like the headline news every day, right? And what I started to notice that there was a lot of talent, a lot of incredible voices out there um, talking about COVID-19, but there weren't a lot of you know, you know, people talking about COVID-19 equity, right? Mm -hmm. And I just, yeah, like, you know, I just took to Twitter and Instagram and start, and TikTok and started like talking about, well, what, what do we do for people who experience homelessness? And, you know, um, why are we not giving vaccines to more racialized communities where, you know, rates are much higher, right? Like things like that. And what ended up happening is media got really interested in that perspective, right? Because colleagues in infectious disease and public health, you know, they're very important. They play a huge role, but they, people wanted to hear more about the equity piece. And so I became a little bit more of a voice around COVID equity. I guess the rest is history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I hear you. Same kind of thing with myself and Sarah that, you know, we always had uh, this take that, you know, um, we were going to talk about issues that, you know, some people might want to might shy it away from and nurses typically aren't seen in, in the media for whatever reason that may be and Sarah and I just said you know what you know F it we're gonna do whatever we want and it shouldn't be controversial to talk about poverty it shouldn't be controversial to talk about health equity or or social justice it shouldn't be you know controversial to talk about you know anti-racism so you know I think I think what I, I want and what I want for you and for other people who are doing this work is we can't let we can't let these detractors or these things stop our flow, stop our pace, stop our momentum. And one of the questions I have for you is how 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 do we keep this momentum? Because you kind of touched on it just about in the beginning of our conversations where, you know, as you said, COVID's kind of winding down, but we still need to talk about health equity. We still need to talk about poverty and homelessness. These issues aren't going away. The COVID has, you know, pulled back the veil on these issues. But how do we make sure that it's still on the tip of the tongues of media, of policymakers, of people like yourself and myself? How do we make sure that that fire does not fizzle out? Yeah, th this is the key, right? So I think one of the things we have to do is we have to continue to tell the stories um, and we have to continue to tell the narratives um, um, so that people um, are exposed to these issues on an ongoing basis. That means, you know, for example, really thinking about the, the news and the storylines and what's happening and tying concepts around health equity 
to those storylines. Right now, encampment clearings are something that a lot of people are talking about in Toronto and across Canada. And so that's a health equity issue, right? So we're, I'm just like finalizing an op-ed for the Toronto Star, you know, just trying to really bring those health equity concepts, you know, really connect those worlds so people can really begin to understand it. The other thing is continuing to tell stories of about the people we care for. Of course, you know, confidentiality and, and appropriate with consent only, or, or just even general trends that you're seeing, right? Re, what, you know, you know, paid sick days in Ontario, it's about to expire, right? Um, what was put in, um, you know, in just a few weeks, right? What's going to happen to workers? Like, you know, paid sick days was a thing that we needed before COVID. It just like really hit, you know, hit the fan during COVID. So, you know, we, mm-hmm. so if you, you're seeing the consequences of that as a trend in your, in your healthcare, you know, in the care you provide, you know, for example, you know, um, you have a responsibility to talk about that. You know, it's our moral obligation to put that narrative on the table and talk about what that means for people. We, we aren't just health workers. We have the potential to be social change agents yes. through the care we provide, through the advocacy, you know, we endeavor. And, and I think finally we need to, you know, if COVID didn't show us, I don't know what will, you know, the notion of the ap- apolitical health worker um, needs to end. Yes. Healthcare is political. And, yes. and we, yes. we are political agents within that. And so the, the quicker we recognize that, the more likely we're, we're going to be able to bring these issues to the forefront and keep them there. Amazing. That is amazing. I think that is so inspiring because a lot of uh, healthcare workers, particularly nurses, they don't see themselves as change agents, as political, as activists. And we really want to let people know that this is part of your role. This is your part of your responsibility as a healthcare provider. And we really need to just take that and run with it. Um, I just wanted to close by asking if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about before we end today, anything that we didn't touch on. I, I mean, I seriously just want to once again applaud you both for, you know, your voice throughout the pandemic. I know I know this is like the setup is you're interviewing me, but I kind of like just want to like interview you because <laughs> I'm so inspired by the two of you um, just you know, really taking a stand on key issues, being a firm and important voice out there. We need you in healthcare. We need you on social media. I know you guys are incredible human beings and passionate health workers. Thank you for what you're doing. Please keep doing it. I, I, I can't wait to see what you guys do with the do with the Gritty Nurse, the Gritty Nurse brand, the podcast, everything, the conglomerate and what's coming. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I mean, I think I think like you, we are going to continue holding people accountable. We're going to hold people's feet to the fire. I think it's just something that I think for me, it's been too long that, you know, I've been watching things and being like, oh man, that that's so horrible. That's bad. Or, you know, I, I can't believe that that happened to that person. And for so long, I said nothing. It got to a point where I was like, I can't stand back anymore it, it doesn't matter whether I'm a nurse I just think it's a good person I'm just trying to be a good person I'm just trying to do what's best for my brother and my sisters whoever is out there who needs who deserves health care equitably I've got to say something I could no longer stay silent so you know I'm happy that you're on here talking to us today <laughs> we feel honored to be in your presence too so you know I think equally we're doing some really great work and we just have to continue to hold people accountable for you know what's happening day to day 24 7 minute by minute hour by hour whatever the case may be that's totally it say something do something keep their yeah. feet to the fire right keep them accountable well said <laughs>